told several of you on several occasions that uh, when I was a, a young man, uh, I was a Boy Scout. And one of the life-changing truths, if there were any, uh, that I learned as a Boy Scout was to be prepared. And I asked myself this week, be prepared for what? Be prepared, but be prepared for what? What does that mean to be prepared? Well, did a little study, and I found that being prepared means that you're always in a state of readiness, both in mind and in body, to do your duty. Amen? That fellow's prepared. Amen? He's prepared for the rain. But we always need to be prepared, both in mind and in body, to do your duty. And it was never more true than it is in our spiritual lives to be prepared. It's been said that there are two types of people in life. There are those who are going somewhere and those who are going nowhere. Amen? Likewise, it's also been said that if you prepare, you will go somewhere. But if you don't prepare, you ain't going nowhere. Amen? So listen to what uh, some of the nation's great people said about preparation. Henry Ford said, Before everything else, getting ready is the secret to success. John F. Kennedy said, The time to repair the roof is when the sun is shining. Does that make sense? Abraham Lincoln said, If I had six hours to chop down a tree, I'd spend the first hour sharpening the axe. Makes sense, doesn't it? Benjamin Franklin said, By failing to prepare, you are preparing to fail. Exactly. But would you agree with me this morning that while preparation is important, just because you're prepared doesn't mean that you'll be a success. It doesn't always lead to success. For instance, I read a story about a peculiar fisherman up in Minnesota. This fisherman was very well prepared. He knew how to fish. He had all the tools to make him a great fisherman. He loved to get up early when the fish were biting. He had all the poles, all the reels, all the rods, all the bait, and he even had a really nice boat. But this fisherman had a problem. For all of his preparation, this fisherman never caught anything. He's like me when I go fishing. Amen? He never catches anything. Not once did he catch a fish. Not one time did he ever catch a fish. And do you know why he never caught a fish? Because he never went fishing. For all of his preparation, he never caught a thing. He never caught a single fish because he never went Fishing. He had all the knowledge, he had all the tools, he had all the equipment, he was very prepared, but he never got in the boat, and he never left the dock. This also is very true, spiritually speaking. Many people 
are going nowhere spiritually. They make an empty profession of faith in Jesus Christ. But then they attempt to leave Jesus and his church out of their lives and they end up going nowhere, spiritually speaking. Today's Bible verses will speak about how you and I can be prepared to live a successful Christian life, get this, after we make Jesus the Lord and Savior of our lives. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1, just about three or four verses here. And listen to what Peter writes to believers, okay? Again, we're talking about being prepared after you're saved. Amen? Amen? Y'all with me? All right, good deal. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, Peter writes, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. I have never heard that except for in the Bible. Gird up my loins. So I had to find out what does gird up my loins mean. Amen? Uh, it means be prepared. It means prepare for action. So Peter says, Be prepared in your mind. Be sober and, the, and rest your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as you were in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, Be holy, the Lord says, for I am holy. Someone once said that when God called for brains, some people thought he said trains and he headed for the train station. They think, man, I got a brain, but I just don't always use it. Have you ever done something stupid? Raise your hand if you've ever done something stupid. Whew, I'm glad it's not just me. Sometimes I act like I don't have any brains. Let me give you an example. A couple weeks back, I went to Sam's, picked up a few items, and if you don't know it, self-checkout is the bomb. Amen. You can go into Walmart, you can go into Sam's, you can go into Lowe's, and if you self-checkout, man, you in and out quit. Anyway, I go to Sam's, pick up a few items, and I'm heading to the self-checkout. Man, I, I, I zap my items, I scan my items, and I slide my card through. And it says, invalid card. I said, now I know that Janice just now re-upped our Sam's card. So I said, I'll try it again. Clear, invalid card. And I said, this stupid machine is broke. So I went to the next one. Scan my items again. Scan my card. Invalid card. I said, you've got to be kidding me. So anyway, I know this manager. His name's Jeremy, or Jeffrey, rather. And I said, Jeffrey, your machines are all messed up, or my card's messed up one. So he takes my card, and he says, yeah, uh, there's a problem here. This is your MAPCO rewards card. He goes, don't worry, we won't tell nobody. And he, look what I'm doing, amen, telling the whole church. Uh, anyway, sometimes I act like I don't have any brains whatsoever. I didn't prepare my mind. But look at what verse 13 says. Gird up the loins of your mind. In other words, prepare your mind for action. 
We got to prepare our mind for action. See, right thinking doesn't happen without thinking in the right direction. We're all the time thinking, but we're not all the time thinking in the right direction. True? Amen? That's what I said at Sam's. Uh, we don't always think in the right direction. Um, sometimes we do stupid stuff. Sometimes we do wrong stuff. And, of course, we know that the world sometimes does perverted stuff. True? Listen to what Paul wrote to the Roman church about why do people do perverted stuff. In verse 27 of Romans chapter 1, the Bible says, Likewise, also, those men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving to themselves the penalty of the error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over, get this, to a debased mind. To do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and evil-mindedness. You see, friend, right thinking doesn't happen unless you're thinking in the right direction. Why do people do perverted things? The answer is simple. That's the way they think. That's the way they're thinking. And most of them don't even think. Verse 28 there in Romans, in the NIV, says, Since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. They don't think, and they certainly ain't thinking about God, right? So why do people do perverted things? Because they're not thinking in the right direction. They're not thinking in terms of what God wants them to do. Now, there's a flip side to that coin too. The other side of that coin is illustrated in Philippians 4.8 where Paul writes again to believers and he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent, whatever is praiseworthy, get this, think on those things. People do perverted stuff because they're thinking about wrong things. People do right things because they're thinking in the right direction. Thinking in the right direction. I read where one seminary professor said, the doing will never be right until the thinking is right. The doing will never be right until the thinking is right. When a person thinks about the right things, they begin to seek the right things, and sure enough, eventually, they're going to begin doing the right things. So we have to prepare our minds, set our minds on the Word of God, Every day, friend, you will drift if you're not thinking on the Word of God every day. You've got to set apart some part of your day to think in the right direction, in God's direction. So I want to encourage you to do that every day. Listen to what Solomon wrote in the book of Proverbs, chapter 23, verse 7. He said, for as a man thinks, 
so he is. For as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. So you are what you think. You are what you are because of your thinking. You, your thinking is what brought you here today. Your thinking is what brought you to this point in life. And friend, you've got to do everything in your power to prepare your mind for action in the future. Constantly be preparing your mind. And how do you do that? How do we prepare our minds? Friend, it's with the Word of God. It's with prayer to God. Psalm chapter 1 says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of the sinners, nor sit in the seat of the mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law he meditates day and night. Therefore he is like a tree. We were talking about a tree in our Purpose Driven Life group this morning, about how a tree is planted by the streams of water and it yields its fruit in its season and its leaf doesn't wither. And listen to this. Whatever he does prospers. Whatever he does prospers when he's preparing his mind for action on the Word of God. You'll prosper. You'll be successful. So how do you prepare to live a successful Christian life? Prepare your mind in the Word of God. It's really simple. But you've got to do it. Everybody knows what we should be doing. Sometimes we just don't do it. Not only should we prepare our minds, but we should also prepare our bodies. That's right. We should be preparing our bodies. Look again in verse 13 and, and Peter chapter 1. He said, therefore, gird up or prepare your mind. And then he says, be sober. Now, at a first glance, he says, okay, here he is writing to Christians, and they must all be drunk. Sober up, Christians. No, that's not what he's saying. Be sober means to be self-controlled. To be self-controlled. To me, this tells me that I am responsible to control the lusts of my flesh. I have to take responsibility. I have to use my body... For the glory of the Lord. That's what he made it for. That's what he intended it to do. And I've got to be self-controlled enough to do it. Do you remember what I shared just a couple weeks ago in 1 Corinthians chapter 6? Paul wrote to those believers, he said, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you received from God? And I love this because God reminds us You are not your own. That body you're living in, it don't belong to you. It was bought with a price. And then I love this last sentence. Therefore, honor God with your body. Honor God with your body. Friend, as believers, I believe that we understand that we belong to the Lord. I think we all get that. But it also means that we need to take care of our bodies the very best that we can. That means to do right and to eat right and to take care of ourselves. And you have to agree that sometimes that's not always easy. 
Sometimes it can be downright difficult to take care of these bodies. In fact, here's what a couple people said about taking care of our bodies. One person defined aerobics. Who loves to do aerobics? Ugh. Uh, nobody likes to do aerobics. But here's what aerobics are. Aerobics are basically a series of strenuous exercises which help convert fats, sugars, and starches to aches, pains, and cramps. That's what an aerobics is. Amen? Listen to what the uh, astronaut Neil Armstrong said. He said, I believe the Lord God gave us a finite number of heartbeats, and I'm not going to spend the first one on a treadmill. Amen? I can, I can agree with that one. Someone else said, every time I get the urge to exercise, all I do is I just sit down with a bag of chips until the urge goes away. <laughs> Problem solved, right? One lady said, inside me, there is a thin person struggling to get out. But I can usually shut her up with four or five cupcakes. Wow, we don't like exercising. But listen, our bodies do belong to the Lord. Our bodies do belong to the Lord. He bought it. He paid for it with his own blood. He bought your body. Therefore, we should try harder to take care of our body and do the best job we can. And that means that we're going to have to demonstrate a little self-control. That's always a lot of fun, isn't it? Demonstrating self-control. Well, self-control has two parts. It's a two-part deal. Uh, we have a part as believers... But listen to this, God also has a part in self-control. First off, we must take some responsibility for self-control. You and I have got to take some self-control, get up, and go to work. Amen? Uh, we have to exhibit some self-control by going to the gym for some exercise, maybe. We've got to take some self-control to eat right. Friend, that takes time, and that takes just a little bit of effort. We've got to take care of ourselves. I've heard it said that life is a lot like a marathon. A marathon. It takes time to prepare for a marathon. It takes time to prepare to have a good body. A marathon is basically a 26.2 mile foot race. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of preparation to get to that point. But marathon runners don't start by running 26.2 miles. Do you know how they start? They start by jogging a half mile. And then the next day they might repeat it. And then they might take a break and then they repeat it again. And then after a couple of weeks of jogging a half mile, then they step it up and they jog a, half mile, a whole mile. And then before they know it, they're leading into two miles and then three miles and a couple months later, they're actually jogging four or five miles. Friend, marathon runners don't start by running the whole race. They prepare themselves to run that kind of distance. And as they're preparing themselves, uh, muscles begin to get built. Stamina is developed. Weight is lost. Endurance is increased. And before you know it, your speed starts getting up there. And before you know it, then your distances begin to get easier. Well, friend, life is a lot like that marathon. It takes time. It takes a little effort to prepare to get to that place. But here's the bottom line. Self-control is a key. It's a key to life, and it's a key to running a marathon. 
It's a hard thing to learn, but the only way you're going to learn it is by practicing. Practice makes perfect. In fact, listen to what uh, Paul wrote to Timothy. Paul wrote um, in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He said, reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself toward godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having the promise for life that now is and that which now is to come. Friend, physical training is valuable. It has some valuable. Taking care of our physical bodies is important to living the Christian life. And most of us know how to do it, but once again, we just don't do it. So we need to do a better job of taking responsibility and exhibiting a little self-control. But not only do we have a part, but God teaches that he also has a part. In fact, in Galatians chapter 5, the Bible tells us what it looks like when somebody is living with God. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and get this, self-control. When the Holy Spirit resides in the believer, you have some self-control that can be on tap when you're ready to use it. We need to make sure that we're walking in the Spirit. We need to make sure that we're yielding to the Spirit. And we need to make sure that we allow Him to produce some good fruit in our lives. I mean, the Holy Spirit's not going to be able to, to do much good through our lives if we're busy uh, ignoring Him in prayer and not reading the Word of God. So we need to allow him to produce some self-control in us. Here's the saying. We've got to cooperate with him so he can operate on us. Amen? We've got to cooperate with him so that he can operate on us. So prepare your mind. But also prepare your body. Lastly, prepare your heart. Again, in verse 14, Peter writes, As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, get this, so you also must be holy in all your conduct. He didn't just say at home. He didn't just say at church. He didn't just say at work. He didn't just say at Walmart. He said, in all your conduct, be holy. Why? Because it's written, Be holy, for I, the Lord God, am holy. Friend, you need to prepare your heart to be holy. Have you ever considered that? Have you ever considered that you could be holy, but would God tell you to do something that you couldn't do? Would He? He would not. Therefore, when He tells you to be holy, that means you can do it. You can be holy. This should be the desire of our life, the desire of our heart. What does that mean, though, be holy? That means that I ought to be growing in the likeness of God in every part of my life, being holy. In order to be holy, we've got to prepare our hearts. 
in order to be holy, we've got to realize that holiness is a matter of the heart. What's your heart look like this morning? Listen to what Jesus said about this old heart of ours. In Matthew 5, 8, Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. In Matthew 5, 28, Jesus said, I tell you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery in his heart. You see, sometimes we often sin in our heart before we actually do the sin itself. In Matthew 6, 21, Jesus said, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In Matthew 12, 34, Out of the abundance of the heart... The mouth speaks. You ever met somebody that just seems to spew forth bitterness? You ever met somebody like that? You ever met somebody that just seems to speak negativity all the time? Why do they do that? Because that's what's in their heart. Sometimes people don't have a speaking problem. They have a Jesus also said in Matthew 15, For out of the heart come evil thoughts. Out of the heart comes murder. Out of the heart comes adultery. Out of the heart comes sexual immorality. Out of the heart comes theft. Out of the heart comes false testimony. Out of the heart comes slander. Take seed from the heart. Do you see how important the heart is? you see how important it is to prepare your heart? Because everything that you do will come out of the heart. And of course, I'm not talking about the physical heart. I'm talking about the spiritual heart. You know that. But God wants us to be holy. And it always starts from the inside. I read that holiness is the true sign of repentance. Do you remember what Peter said on the day of Pentecost? He said, repent and be baptized. I've always thought about that. I said, well, you know, when, when, when I was born again, I repented. That day I repented. But holiness is a lifestyle of repentance. Because I have realized that ever since that day in 1977, every day I have sinned in some form or fashion. A bad attitude, a, a, a wrong word, a little bitterness. Who knows what other kind of sin we don't even want to talk about, amen? So I, we need to live this lifestyle of repentance, this lifestyle of turning away from that junk and turning to Christ. A lifestyle of repentance. That's what holiness is. Turning away from my way and turning to God's way. That's what holiness is. A lifestyle of repentance. I mean, think about a beautiful flower garden. And if you want it to, to blossom, man, you got to work at it. You got to plant it. You got to water it. You got to get those weeds from around it. What makes you think that the human heart is any different? If you want holiness, you've got to live a lifestyle of repentance. Turning away from anything that's not of God. Many of you may have heard of 
a preacher named Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards was a preacher back in the 1700s, and he preached a series of sermons that impacted thousands and thousands of people. One such sermon was entitled, listen to this title, I wish I could think like this. Uh, one title was, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And that sermon helped to spark a revival that was later called the Great Awakening. From a human standpoint, it seems incredible to me that God would use one message to reach so far to cause revival. And the reason is, is because Jonathan Edwards wasn't that good of a preacher. I can identify with that, amen? But one thing that he did is he was holy. And it was said when he was preparing for that sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, that for three days he did not eat one mouthful of food. For three days he did not close his eyes one time in sleep. Instead, he was overheard time after time praying, Oh, Lord, give me New England. Oh, Lord, give me New England. Jonathan Edwards had a heart of holiness, seeking after the face of God. And it was said that when he came out into the pulpit, before he even started preaching, the Holy Spirit fell on that place and conviction fell on the hearts of the believers and on the hearts of those who didn't know Jesus. And the aisles were filled immediately. And he hadn't even preached a word. Holiness. Holiness. It was Edward's desire in life. And friend, it ought to be ours too. To be like God. To live a lifestyle of, of turning away from anything that's not like God. But to do that, it's going to take a little... Preparing the heart, a little preparing the body, and a little preparing the mind. If you don't work at it, if you don't practice at it, if you don't prepare for it, you'll never get it. Holiness. I read about one little boy who came home and his vacation Bible school teacher said... Mama, my VBS teacher told me that the world is only a place where God lets us live for a while to prepare for a new world. And he said, but Mama, I don't see anybody preparing. I see you preparing to go to the store. I know Daddy's preparing to come home. But I don't see nobody else getting ready. Friend, you may be saved, but I say that we should still be getting ready. Amen? We should still be striving to live that lifestyle of repentance, that lifestyle of holiness. Get ready. Because one day, the eastern sky is going to split wide open, and the Lord's going to come for his own. And when he comes for me, I can't speak for you, but when he comes for me, my prayer of prayers 
is that I'm living a life of holiness. And I'll be the first one to admit I got a long way to go. But from this day forward, because I've been convicted by the word of God, I'm going to be striving for holiness. I pray you will too. Because this life is just a preparation for another life. This life you're living as a Christian is just the beginning, friend. It's just the tip of the iceberg. So are you preparing for the next life? Are you getting ready? Even though you may be saved. Are you getting ready? Are you preparing for that place that God has prepared for you? You know, it's been said that heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. Are you prepared? Are you prepared? What do you need to do to get ready? I mentioned a lifestyle of repentance. Sometimes that just means, you know what? I need to get down here at the altar. I need to just ask God to forgive me. I need to ask for that clean slate, that fresh start. I want to walk in holiness. Maybe it means for you, you know what? I've waited long enough for my decision for Jesus Christ. Today is the day. Today is the day that if that eastern sky split open this afternoon, I'd be included in the family of God. So whatever your decision is today, all I want to do is just encourage you to get ready.